Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello. Dave. Is he now? And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we start every week with good things. So, Craig, what's your good thing? Oh, man. We're going to dig into the classics this week, um, at least for me. Uh, so this is a, a uh, fun thing from my early adulthood. You might have heard of it. It's called HomestarRunner.net. Yes. Compilations, yes. Elizagirth. Compilations, Elizagirth. Um, I've been watching the, the, uh, strong bad emails. Um, there's a compilation of like 200 of them and I've just been putting it on while I play some Final Fantasy 14. Um, and, uh, yeah, guys, like it's, it's good stuff. Um, I don't know. It's, it's my early adulthood. I mean, for, uh, I'm sure a f- number of people, it's their childhood that they might've grown up with it, but I was already an adult when I started watching. Um, it's still good. Yeah. I yeah. I, what what to say about okay for those of you who don't actually know it it was made in the 2000s it's a it, at the time it was flash animation you know it was like a cartoon essentially what's flash um, <laughs> what's flash <laughs> good point um it's an animation software that became obsolete like a year ago but uh anyway it became obsolete long before then it but just it got was discontinued yeah it got discontinued and archaic technology so it's a it's a comedic cartoon series about homestar runner who's an all-star athlete um who's a bit of an idiot he is a terrific athlete um he has no arms and there's the quote-unquote villain character strong bad he's a mexican wrestler luchador type well he wears a luchador mask um and he types with boxing gloves on so uh yeah let's let's not make any <laughs> leaps here i'm not even sure mexico exists in strong badiverse yeah they I live mean... in the, the usa exists actually it's kind of funny so they live in free country usa and it's shaped like the united states of america like their country is shaped like the united states of america but it's an island and it wears underpants <laughs> So anyway, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of good references and stuff. It's it's real quick. You can get into it. Um, you can watch it on like YouTube or something like that if you are actually curious and you've never been exposed to this. Or if you want to rewatch it. Like I said, I'm watching on YouTube. It's a 10-hour long video of all 200 females, strong bad emails. And um, who, created, who created this thing, Craig? The brother Chaps. Chapman. Isn't it Matt? Chapman and uh shoot, what's the other name? Mike. Mike. Mike and Matt Chapman. Yeah. And the voice of Missy Palmer Chapman. That's true. Anyway, it's enjoyable. It's it's an early internet relic, but it's fun. One of and the I times think they're actually making new videos now, actually. They made a new uh, Halloween the, game. The the brothers went on to to work on some kind of other children's show on TV. I forget what it's called, but they were working on the I think one of them wrote for Gravity Falls. Uh, one of them left, like, one of the early we don't do anything for two years things uh, was one of them left to write for the Aquabats Super Show. Yeah. They also wrote a series of shorts for Disney XD called Two More Eggs. 
and you can see that uh, on YouTube. It's a free, you know, it's a series that Disney XD put out for YouTube, and it's the Brothers Chaps, and it's not Homestar related, but you can definitely see their style and the animation and sense of humor. Yo Gabba Gabba was the thing I was thinking of. That was like the first thing they left Homestar Runner to go do. Yeah, so basically these guys made the most popular web web series cartoon in a time where there was like an ocean of web cartoons. They made the most popular one. They, uh, whatever year it was, they they were like at their peak. Like what the last couple, if you look at the last couple Strong Bad emails before they went on hiatus, there's like the videographer, the Strong Bad dictionary. Like those were top notch. They were at the top of their game. And basically, they just got like they just got bigger jobs, like their their uh, fame from having the most popular web series got them writing and animation jobs in the field. So it's really cool. And it is family friendly. It is not is not adult humor, although they sneak some things in as you do. But, I see uh... the cheat's been cheating on his New Year's resolution. <laughs> so yeah. Fun fact, uh, Mike and I were in the same room when we discovered Strong Bad Emails. That was when we were in college together and we were hanging out with my husband and with our friend Ryan in the net lab, just looking up random videos. And that was one of the ones that we found. Nice. I think my friend Steve might have been the one who exposed me to it, but he didn't watch it. He like, hey, you might like this. And he sent me, you know a link to one of the the videos or something and i'm like oh this is pretty silly and then was i kept it, watching was it. it steve or was it hey, a yeah, steve. steve hey steve um but he has no idea he he never watched it i don't understand he sends me links to things by the way steve was the one who got me in the psych real quick aside he showed me psych i watched it i'm like that is so us he didn't watch it himself he sent me a link to it i'm like steve you need to watch this sean and gus are me and you and so then i sent him the link back and he's like yeah this is really good and then he got into it he's so weird guys yes isn't he well i'm i'm more gus so so you're his pop culture guinea pig yeah i guess i guess (laughs) all right dave Uh, what's your your did i get you into it dave uh strong bad or did you find it yourself i don't remember uh you might have uh gotten me into it but i've gotten various other people into it so it spread okay i'm still taking I, I credit think, for demon crest i've been i played that game for like an hour yep I'm taking I, credit I, for I, it. it's on the switch library so i should play it although okami is next gotta play okami dave good thing oh uh my good thing this week is a video game it's called forewarned it's like phasmophobia sort of but not really but with mummies you go explore these egyptian tombs and you have to figure out uh, which which pharaoh is buried there because for some reason they don't know. Um, and they, uh, unlike phasmophobia, all the different ghosts or mummies have different traits. So it helps you to figure out what it is so that uh, you know what tactics to use to avoid it. So you need to figure out which uh, which mummy it is because you have to enter their name into their bedroom and then you sneak in and you steal a relic. And you hopefully get out because when you pick up the relic, the door closes on you and you have to find a lever which only spawns after you go into the bedroom. So, yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, it's uh, 
It's a lot, you know. It's when Phasmophobia started losing its like scary factor, and that you know they've been working at it. And it's been they, they've gotten uh, they made changes to Phasmophobia, which made it scarier, but still wasn't completely fresh. So Forewarned was kind of a nice like, all right, we got a brand spanking new scary game, and Jet and I, uh, Craig and I played it a little bit, and it's fun. Cool. I do like some of the changes they've been doing in Faz, and it, I feel like it has been scarier. Uh, forewarned, I don't feel is scary to me. Um, it is, it is definitely different. Um, it just came out recently, as as Dave mentioned. Um, so it doesn't have the amount of work that Fast, yeah, it doesn't have the amount of work that Phasmophobia has in it. Um, it definitely has some good potential, and it it is pretty different than Phasmophobia. Like it has a different focus. Um, and the gameplay does like it has the same principle of you bringing in items to try to determine what a thing is, like Dave mentioned. But the whole survival element is different and the um just the equipment and everything that you're doing. Like it's it plays a lot differently. So don't feel like if you play Phasmophobia uh, that you'll you know if forewarned is because it does play a lot different. All right. Uh, so my good thing this week is so like everything I talked about last week is still true. It's even more true because we are five days away. Yeah, five days away from Wheel of Time and Pokemon. And I'm very excited about both. But the big thing I want to talk about this week is the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters. And what's good about them? So graphically, uh, not much. Like, the pixel art has more colors. Like, they didn't have access to as many colors back when these games were originally being made. So they just sort of updated the pixels, or updated the pixel art to be a little more colorful. Um, but the water effects look incredible. And spell effects are amazing. But, like, graphically, that's about all there is going on. What's really great about these is the music. Holy crap, the music rules. It's, like, full surround sound, symphony, real instruments. It's amazing. I I can't describe it without you listening to it, so go listen to it. And hopefully FF6 is out in 2021, because that's the game I'm waiting for. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Tori, what's your good thing? My good thing this week is the breakfast casserole recipe that my husband discovered last week and that he is industriously cooking a double batch of in the kitchen right now. Hey, babe. He's not listening. But um, yeah, it's got eggs and bacon and potatoes and bell peppers and onions and garlic. And I don't know what all else because I am not currently the one cooking it. He's cooking it, and I get to eat it. It's going to be delicious. I'll share a recipe later. I do an egg bake every once in a while. It's it's a base of tater tots and then eggs and either bacon or sausage and cheese. It's good. Oh, yeah. Cheese goes on top. Mm-hmm. Forgot to mention the cheese. Oh, you got to get the, like the, the oven burnt cheese. It's the best cheese. Yeah. Crispy, crunchy cheese. Mm-hmm. Craig, Dave, either of you bake eggs? <laughs> you think I make bacon stuff. and eggs? Bacon. bacon and eggs are acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I've never baked an egg, cooked eggs, I boiled them, poached them, fried the only them, thing, microwaved them. The only thing I do with eggs is eat them scrambled with ketchup. Gross. That's fine. Thank you. So Dave. you, it's the you poor man's hot pop. You successfully Dang. poached eggs, Dave? Oh no. Okay, because I, I have not successfully. I have once. Uh, I haven't attempted it again because I'm scared of it. But I managed once. <laughs> what do you? 
I just like boiled water and cracked it in there, and I don't know what was supposed to happen next, but it didn't didn't come out like at the restaurant. I don't know if you have like a little supposed to have like a little 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 caddy you you put him in or something. No. So it's... my brother was telling me about uh how to how to make the cheap ramen taste like real ramen and he was saying, you know, you gotta get the special broth and you boil the noodles in the broth and then you scoop the noodles out with like a slotted spoon and then you poach the egg for exactly two minutes in the broth. And um it sounds phenomenal. I haven't tested it yet. That sounds like you're spending a lot of money to make cheap ramen good when you could just spend that same money to buy good ramen from a restaurant. Yeah, it does, actually. So you guys want to talk about a book? Sure, yes, let's please. do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about Alice in Wonderland. Or, I'm right? sorry, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Yes. Guy. Sure. Um, so there's this girl. She chases a rabbit in a tree. Uh... And then she gets Blig, and then she gets some little, and then she uh, plays croquet. There were momraths in there somewhere. Don't forget the momraths. No, that was Jabberwock. That was a uh, that was um, a, the book within the book of the sequel of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. But the momraths, they sure do outgrabe. All right, and that's our uh, <laughs> that's like our Alice, Alice in Wonderland overview. In Alice and Adventures, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, she like chases a rabbit into like a, a hole, and then she like goes down and falls in the Wonderland. In through the Looking Glass, she just—I guess she goes through the mirror. I guess that's why it's called that. But then she's like, then she when she goes back outside, like it's Wonderland instead of just being—is it or is it a different place entirely? Why would a mirror be called a Looking Glass? Shouldn't like a telescope or binoculars or something like that be called a looking glass use a mirror That's to look a at yourself question. so it might be premature to announce this but dave and i are going to record an episode about alice's adventures in wonderland and that's going to be a uh, patron exclusive on our patreon someday maybe by the time yep. this episode is released well we have to maybe talk not. to editing mike about that one. Oh no mike hates editing mike yeah editing mike and Today, Mike, have a uh, long-standing feud. Hey, you guys want to talk about um, Bands of Mourning by Brandon Sanderson? Yeah, we should probably talk about that. No. All right. Craig, you got your timer ready? Uh, no. Oh, hang on. I got me. mine. I got mine. Here. Wait, wait, wait. Be on the stream. Stopwatch. Okay. He's a speedrunner. He should have it all set up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what, yeah my splits from last run. Bam. Actually, I'm going to run against the world record splits. Okay, I'm ready. Count me in. In three, two, one, go. Waxillium Ladrian wants nothing more to do with God. After Harmony twice manipulated Wax into killing his wife, Wax is not interested in helping him retrieve the spike of his Condra servant, Relore. However, when Wax sees the mission as an opportunity to rescue his kidnapped sister, Telson, he accompanies Marasi to the outer cities of New Saran. Along for the journey are Wayne, Wax's sidekick, Milan, another Contra friend of both Relor and our mortal heroes, and Steris, who very nearly became Wax's wife. The set, a political extremist group led by Wax's uncle, Mr. Suit, is once again behind this book's conflict. The group attempts unsuccessfully to distract Wax at every turn, but he is dedicated to staying on course. After the first half of the book, which I've largely forgotten, our heroes find the set's camp where a strange airship has crash-landed in the wild. 
Wax reunites with Telson, and the group meets a new friend, Alec. Alec is of the southern races, about whom much is unknown. He wears a strange mask and seems well-informed about the mysterious technology that was deposited in the outskirts of New Saran. Alec tells stories of how the hunters, a sect of his race, seek to destroy a temple housing the all-powerful Bands of Mourning, a relic from the days of the final empire. Wax, realizing that Uncle Sud is racing for a powerful weapon, flies to the temple with Alec's help. The party arrives at the temple and are greeted by various traps. Long story short, Telson was a vampire the whole time, and the statue outside had a spear that was the Bands of Mourning, and Sue tries to steal the bomber plane, and Wax saves the day, and Marasi saves the day too, and Wayne saves the day, and Telson was a set all along, and she escapes, and Wax dies and, like, talks to Harmony, but then he decides not to die, and he saves the day instead, and Wax and Starris finally get married, and Marasi's cool with it, she's happy to be a beta, and then we learn the Lord Ruler is Kelsier, so I guess people can just not dye their hair. And we'll find out more about secrets and secret history because there's always another secret stuff sometimes. The end. One fifty nine fifty five. Oh, you stopped the timer early, or you started it late. Uh, Wait. I st- okay. <laughs> good good, good run. <laughs> it's pretty close to what I clocked you. Uh, one fifty eight seventy seven. So like a second off. Yeah, I think Tori started the moment you started talking, whereas I started when I said zero or go or whatever it is I said. Anyway, yeah. my I only complaint. Out, I've left out the first half of the book, and then I wrote two paragraphs with ignoring the first half of the book. And then I was like, oh, man, I need to wrap this up. <laughs> uh, my Brandon only complaint does... is Wax is Wayne's sidekick. Get it right. That's true. I also meant to say, uh, anyway, yeah, it's perfect. Um, I did it in true Brandon Sanderson fashion, where you're like you're you're two thirds of the way in, and you're like, oh, so much yep. still has to happen. What's going to go on? And then, bam, it all comes flooding in like a Sanders tsunami. I noticed that. That was like a Dave Tornado or something. That wasn't my intention. I was just running out of time. <laughs> Dave Nato. Dave Nato. Yeah, maybe. To be totally fair, the first half of the book really doesn't matter to the rest of the book. It's like true. You, you I mean, can relore doesn't even matter to the rest of the book. And I that's think like you the entire kept setup. Forgetting about who relore was and what they were actually supposed to do. Action, adventure. Oh yeah, they're trying to get this guy Spike back. I yeah, but then that the book forgot that. But then the epilogue <laughs> didn't like even touch on that at all. No. The relore was just a setup to get Wax to die and talk to Harmony. Communism was just a red herring. Aww. Red herring. Uh, all right, Dave, would you like to hear a theory that I've been sitting on for a really long time that I've shared in spoiler time multiple times that you like are now theories. allowed to hear? Sure, let's go. Okay, so my theory is that the the whole wax dying and going back thing and the conversation with Sazed, uh was a job interview. Okay. That basically if Wax had not chosen to go back, the other option was Sazed was going to give him his shards and step down as Harmony. Because Sazed isn't actually Harmony. Never has been. Sazed is preservation and ruin. He thinks of them as two separate things fighting against each other. And because he thinks of them that way, they are that way. If someone else were to take up the Harmony shard, it wouldn't be fighting against itself. They'd have the full power of the two shards. Well... Sazed seems to lean into preservation more than uh, Ruin as well. Yep. And again, like, I'm certain that he he thinks of them as separate things, and so they act separately. And but so, like, like yeah. Sazed 
is anti-hemallergy, right? So he's just against half of his being. Um, so even if this part of my theory no. isn't true, I'm entirely certain that Sazed will not be um, a shard holder past like the end of Era 3 at, at the absolute latest. He certainly doesn't want it. He never wanted it. So, so, so to that's clarify, what makes him perfect for the job. Sazed isn't against hemallergy so much as he's against the knowledge of the practice getting out. Um, so he's against I, letting other people hemallerge. Right. Because he knows how destructive and, and the potential for it and how dangerous it actually is in the wrong hands. Yeah, I guess Sazed isn't actually against like the Coloss or the Chondra. He yeah, just I doesn't mean, want people inquisiting. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he's well, very... and at at the risk of sounding like a psychopath, because we do that sometimes, um, there's Truly. a huge difference. There's a huge difference between the kind of hemallergy that the Inquisitors were doing, where you hold someone down and spike them. Uh, Dave, I'm echoing. Thank you. Uh, versus where it's kind of a, a sacred ritual end-of-life ceremony, like, oh, I am dying, let me pass my powers on, um, which I think there was some use of it that way in the past. I don't remember where that was. Then you have to give up your soul as you're dying, or so the so the no, legend not, goes. Not the whole thing, just a chunk of it. All right, hemallergy. The way this works is that uh, what you're actually doing... Do, oh, hold on. <laughs> Sorry, I can't speak. What you're actually doing is you're taking your connection to either some allomantic or ferrochemical power as, and and some other things as well. And it's taking the connection that you have and instead giving that to another person. Now, you die in the process. Is that Sorry. connection or investiture? I thought those were two different attributes. It's your connection to the usage of investiture. That's okay. what is being moved. It is, it is specifically moving someone's connection to being able to use these things. So now the new person receiving this spike has connection to these abilities that that other person had. But that's not okay. important right now. What is important is, I don't know, what's the friends important? We make along what are we talking the way? about? What's important is the friends we make along well, the way. We were talking about CZ's view of hemallergy specifically. That's how we got here. Okay, what do we want to talk about from here? How was the book, Dave? I've been talking about the book more than anyone. What do you mean? Sure, but how how does it stack up? What's your what's your rating? How does it stack up against the other oh, misread right. books? We got to do ratings. I totally forgot about this. this. I'm not. Can we wait till after Secret History for yeah, the overall let's do that for the rankings, the re-rankings? Yeah, I bet Tori was prepared for this because Tori is not the most rankings, prepared of all no. of us. Wow, we're good at this, you guys. Yeah, I did my homework. I wrote a summary. Most good job. Of it. Okay, so summary. Castless and rankings get pushed to after Secret History. Sounds yeah. good. a good episode that after that, we're going to have so much to talk about, guys. So, Dave, you said you didn't care for the first half of the book, but did the second half make up for it? Didn't say I didn't care for it. It was cute. I mean, like, we got to see Milan and Wayne's relationship develop, Wax and Steris develop their relationship. Marasi sit around and wait for Alec to show up. Um, there was good character. There were good character moments in the first half of the book, but the you know the plot didn't really start going until they encountered the set in the wild. I mean, there was a little bit like they had Hoyd with uh, 
giving them the coin and you know they went to that party which was how you know they found out about the that they had extra technology and stuff so like there were a couple points here and there which drove the story forward but it wasn't like it wasn't too plot heavy i i don't think maybe it was and i just forgot see to me it just feels like the book ended in such a different place than it started like yeah we we traveled way across the map and uh that it just seems like two different books smushed together. That could be, yeah. Again, I can't reiterate this enough times. They start the book off on a mission to find Relor Spike, and it's just kind of like a byproduct of the things they're actually doing, and they don't even mention it in the epilogue or the last chapters. It's like, oh, we found the spike. Is the spike the Panzer Morning? No. All right, that's the last we hear of it. Yeah, it has a problem of like the MacGuffin versus just the the object of the quest. Like it's it's hard to say because the MacGuffin is the bands of mourning. It's the name of the book. It's the thing that big bads are looking for. But what Wax is originally looking for is just Laura's spike. It's no, he's looking for Telson. Yeah, let's talk about Telson. Um, how obvious was she from a scale of one to ten, with ten being very obvious, with that she was part of the set. I mean, the moment she showed up, it was like nine. I think <laughs> from the beginning of the book, maybe like five or six. Like, because like they do make note of how she's just kind of like they have a picture of her, but it's not like she's being handcuffed. Like she's being treated pretty well for a prisoner, or right. So it's like uh, that's a little suspicious. But then when she shows up, it's like. We have no reason to believe that she was just sitting here waiting for Wax to rescue her, but that was Wax's impression of her, which, that guy's dumb. He, okay, no, Wax is a very intelligent guy, he just has some very obvious blind spots, that's his problem. And yeah, he's dumb what's to his interesting, blind spots, I mean. Wax doesn't reassess his um, assumptions, that's, right. his, that's his problem. Yeah. That's a good way to think of it. So we well, actually talked a lot about this during the spoiler time. Um, and now that you're in on it, um, Tori, I know you have something to say. So just real quick, uh, I was just going to point out that talking about like what the things Wax has missed was a big topic of conversation, along with um, if you happen to do a reread of this book, Dave, uh, t- like after Telson pops up, you can see certain actions she does to sort of either help people in the set to make sure they don't announce that. She's actually part of them. Like, hey, what are you she doing? She shoots with Wax the guy. There's, she shoots there's... the guy, right? Yeah. Or she knocks some equipment or something out of the airship to notify that they're there, to notify them that they're there. Uh, like, it's, it's an accident. There's all, yeah, yeah, it didn't mean to do that. It's all these little things. Go ahead, Tori. Oh, I was going to say, if you go back and reread the prologue, um, which was the um, the flashback to uh, Wax it's confronting the. Yeah, the the killer um, that was in the um, terrace village. Um, what you see of Telson in that flashback is like she was a bad egg the whole time, and she's not the focus of that particular memory of Wax's. So yeah. uh, it's easy to ignore it. Um, but if, if you you know knowing that she was evil. And you go back and like, I'm sorry, some people are evil from the beginning. <laughs> and yeah. Or he, like Voldemort. Dent taught us everyone's a hero of their own story. So Telson, ah, that's the point. My whole my whole thing about the prologue though is that 
she came off as like a sort of a typical teenager bucking against traditions in that like she she wants to go out and party and she doesn't want to be a terrorist type person but she knows how to manipulate people i think that's the key point she's very manipulative she also gets like wax to she also tries to convince wax to do it to go against wax's conscience right yeah so that that's like the most i don't know if that's like a big red flag because she was also pretty young at the time like it's just to me that's just like she's sort of i don't know I don't want to say being a teenager because you can be pretty good when you're a teenager and she's definitely not that. But I don't know. The biggest red flag is the uncle and the sister were working together this whole time. Hey, Dave. Yeah. If you'll recall back to Alloy of Law, there were three people in the carriage accident that air quotes killed Uncle Suit and Telson. Uh, That was vaguely familiar. Suit's wife. Ant suit. What's what's going on with her? Do you think this Maybe. is this is Mike's favorite pet theory? By the, the tel- way, Dave. did Telson have the wife killed? Well, so no. So we know we know suit pops up in Alloy of Law, so he's still alive, even though he died in a carriage accident in order for Wax to inherit the family estates and everything. Telson pops up in this book, so she's not dead. Wait a minute. So two out of three people who died in this carriage accident didn't die. So. Problem one is either A, they killed the ant, so that way she doesn't speak, or number two, she's actually working with them. Yep, that seems like the two options. And Mike likes to point that out every spoiler time. What's Ant suit up to, Mike? Oh, I I think she's even higher up than Telson. So Did she recruit she, both of them? Well, she recruited Telson, and Telson recruited her husband. You mean her uncle? No. Uh, uh, I mean the wife's husband. She had she had her niece recruit her husband, her own husband. This is why we need we need another language. We need to speak German. I don't know what Aunt Suit's name is. Do you guys I think Aunt Suit is good enough? Aunt Suit. I mean, Sounds yeah, Japanese. it lets us identify her, but I don't know what her actual name is. I don't know that we were ever told. Warn it. Copper Bell. No, they they have never given it in the book. Anyway, uh. My my thinking on this is she'll show up in the next book, but Wax will have finally learned a lesson, and so he'll immediately spot her as being part of the set. And and then she won't be. <laughs> no, I think better. she will be. I just don't think she'll be a threat. So th- this ties in, and I, I know I talked about it in the last spoiler time, but Dave wasn't here for that. Keep in mind, Brandon Sanderson's writing style is he wants to make sure he always presents a credible threat to our heroes. Um, as they get past a certain obstacle or dealing with a certain threat, they he has to level up the threats. He doesn't want to keep the same villain around and try to make them more powerful. So um, you sort of got to see that already in the books that we've read. And the same thing's happening. Suit has outlived his usefulness. So he's he was killed off at the end of this book. He's no longer a he threat. Was? Telson. Yeah, he okay. got exploded by uh, a Trell... Off-screen explosion, so maybe he's Force still alive. A Trell's Angel. Think... That's what we called it, a Trell's Angel. I, oh, I yeah. think he's actually dead. Like, I think he outlived his usefulness. He's no longer a threat to No, but they said he will ser- he's like, you will serve us in another realm. And then, and then blew then him up, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and Kelsier exploded, and apparently after he exploded, was able to go share technology with the people of the South. Did I say, yeah, Kelsier? I said Kelsier, right? Yeah. You did. 
You did not say Kaladin, which is the mistake I keep making. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, but but going back to Craig's point that, um, you know, the heroes level up and so then we need stronger villains. Well, why can't the villains level up too? Like, like, we're we're absolutely just watching the heroes get stronger and stronger. Like, yeah, we've got the freaking band of mourning still. It goes both ways. Guys. It, they do level up sometimes. They're not completely static. Um, Lord Ruler, for example, was pretty static. He doesn't level up. He existed for I a thousand Ruin years. Ruin is the best example. Ruin's he he a was great done. Example. However, then we get someone like, let's say, Sadius. Sadius was the bad guy for two books. <laughs> he leveled up, but then he just He died. leveled up <laughs> until they got to a point where he, he outlived his usefulness. I think we saw the same thing with Suit. Like, he showed up at the end of Alloy of Law. He was a threat in the second book. And then he sort of outlived his usefulness by the third book. He couldn't level up as much Hang or on. as fast as the good guys. Let's dig into this because I think there's something here. Suit yeah. absolutely did level up. He had hemallergic spikes, which gave him allomantic and ferrochemical powers, which yeah. put him closer to on par with Wax, except Wax had the Bands of Mourning, so there, there's no coming close to that. But closer. The thing that Wack, or the thing that Uncle Sue didn't level up was reassessing his assumptions about Wax. What Suit was doing for mm-hmm. the whole book was trying to throw distractions at Wax to get him to go do other stuff, and none of it worked. That's that's where Uncle Suit didn't keep up. That's good. Yeah. So it's more than just the power level that needs to be leveled up. It's also character development and. The nice thing about, I think, Sanderson's works is that we do see some character growth and development from his antagonists and villain characters. But it's, you know, it's it's potentially slower. It's a different speed compared to our protagonists. And again, once once they're done, he doesn't want to just keep a villain around for the sake of villain. This is not a Voldemort situation here. Um, he he needs to level things up and make it more difficult. Some some bigger credible threat for the heroes to overcome. Um, so yeah, Suit, see you later. You, you, you exploded. And to be fair to Uncle Suit, he he played that situation pretty much exactly as anybody could have played it. Like we were talking about Final Fantasy earlier. Like if you're playing a Final Fantasy game and you keep fighting this one particular monster and oh, that's weak to fire. And then you fight it again, like I'm gonna throw fire at it. And suddenly that stops working. Like, gonna try it at least one more time to make sure right it worked the first time not just the first time but like historically several times this has been a strategy that worked so r.i.p uncle suit yeah but now you got to double cast ultima so telson dual cast quick telson is higher ranked in the set compared to uncle suit like she already was giving him orders um yeah so we've least moved up the chain um However, my theory is that in Lost Metal, which is the name of the last book, uh, I, I'm i not convinced the set are our big bads anymore. Like, I feel like in general, the set have outlived their use and we, we need we need to deal with Trell. Like, I think the focus needs to be Trell. Um, uh, yeah, we haven't heard from Trell in this book. We heard yeah. from a Trell's angel. We heard from a Trell's angel. Yeah. So it didn't tell us much. Well, we know that the set was kind of working toward bringing trell around or something like that like paving the way for trell so yeah it makes sense that the next logical bad guy is trell himself herself. hold on 
I want Whatever to address something is. Dave said that Trell didn't say much. B.S. We know Trell's entire plan. The whole plan. <laughs> Do go on. And all life on Scadrial. Yeah, their no, new plan. No, that's Ruin's plan. No. Wait a second. Do you think Trell could be 80? So I think it's now time to bring you in because this is the last Mistborn book that you have access to. No, uh, chronologically not. speaking. Chronologically speaking. So I think it's safe to, to tell you. The the current fan theory is that Trell is... Can I say it? Should I say it, Mike? Yeah, do it. Is autonomy. That That is the current working theory that Trell is autonomy. Um, autonomy, if you remember, is the one that probably had an avatar on six of the... Wait, yeah, six of the dust, right? Dust. Is that the name? Not dust. 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 Dusk like dusk. end of the day, not dust yes. like... six of the dusk. Air dirt. But whether the end of the day is literal or not, hmm. Um, so, yeah, Autonomy's there. Uh, you don't know it yet, but I, I will say Autonomy's main planet is the Taldane, Tal which is the White Sands book. Um, and Autonomy's shardholder is Bavadin, who was mentioned by name in the letter in the first Stormlight book, Way of Kings. The letter that Hoyd wrote to Frost? Uh-huh. Yeah. So Autonomy's thing that. is that she likes to make avatars of herself that sort of govern, like, they do their own thing. They She doesn't actually, I mean, her thing is Autonomy. So she will make avatars who then sort of control the planet or whatever section that exists in on their own. Um, she tends to emphasize that people are autonomous in some way that they can make their own choice. But that doesn't mean she doesn't get involved in Cosmere Affairs. Um, she to to clear something up here. Her version of autonomy isn't she doesn't mess with other people or other shards. Her version of autonomy yep. is that other shards aren't allowed to mess with her. Yep, it's okay. very one-sided. So she doesn't want to bestow autonomy to others. She wants autonomy for herself. Correct. Yeah. So uh, the current working theory is that she's trying to force that autonomy on Scadriel. And she's actually attacking the the planet in some way. That's sort of the the red thing that we see in Harmony's vision at one point. That there's something that is attacking the planet that Harmony is holding back. Um, so and it might just be an avatar of autonomy. Yeah. So we think Trell is one of the avatars uh, of autonomy, and that that's who it is. Like that. That's just the theory, though. We don't. Or I should say a guess, not really a theory. Um, we, we do have some supporting evidence. Uh, I don't want to say it's completely off the wall, but it's... But it also could be completely wrong. Yeah. 100% wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Right. Mm. We're sort of working under the assumption that the biggest power factors in the Cosmere are the Shard Holders and, and the Dawn Shards. However, the Dawn Shards, as far as we've seen, have been fairly passive. And they're sort of Hold Different? up, Dave doesn't know anything about Dawn Shards yet. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's a Dawn Shard? Sorry. Um, well, there's, there has important. been mention of Dawn Shards, I want to say, in the first two Stormlight books. But it's like yeah, really, really... Say, the term sounds familiar, but I don't... Uh, yeah, like there's it, no the explanation for it. the of one of the short stories that you're going to read. Maybe that's I where I saw it on the diagram. Like, it's been um, mentioned, but you've got no information to go on. Yeah, but... so what are they? I mean, the I was going to say, yeah, yeah, there is a an entry for it in the diagram. So, so what are they? 
They're dawn shards. Explain how. Well, you you take a dawn and then you break it up into shards. Okay. Uh, okay. So I, I think there's one thing a, I can mention about dawn shards. Rather than being a, a that's not spoilery or whatever. Dawn shards were the thing that broke Adonalsium. That they were the thing that were used to. So they used Ad- they used dawn shards to make Adonalsium shards. Well, to cut Adonalsium into shards. But as far as we know, because the book doesn't exist yet, that's all we know. Okay. Oh, but like how they operate and stuff. I'm going to have to read folk. We have I, a book to read. I'll tell you this one. We, we, as in me and Craig and Tori, I believe are all on board with this one. We think a Don Shard might be involved in Nightblood. We think. Okay. Am I, am I right in saying that Craig and Tori, you're both on board with this? I am on board with it. Yes. Sounds uh, good to me, guys. I, I don't disagree. Close enough. All right. <laughs> what else do we have for this book? Yeah, I, Wait, I looked over the Arthur Canon. Arthur Canon seems to be just straight copied from uh, the last book. Oh, like, oh were... yeah. Did you have any questions about Trell? That's the... yeah. But you answered everything. My question was, who's Trell? She already answered the theory with a theory. Yeah, the key points for that is um, if you go back into Shadows of Self and look at how Lessie slash Palm talks, like her, the things that she's emphasizing with what Trell's plan is. Like, it's very much of freedom, being able to make your own choices. Like, it's very much like Harmony doesn't let us make our own choices. He he has to control us, especially Contra themselves. Someone else and, moves us, law man. Yes, exactly. So that's why it's like, it's it's references like that. It's like, is this autonomy in some way? Um, yeah, so when we're talking like big bads of the Cosmere, as far as we know, it's autonomy and odium. Like, th- those are the ones that are the most destructive like even ruin was sort of just doing his own thing on his own planet like he made an agreement with preservation like ruin wasn't out preservation broke ruin wasn't out to destroy the cosmic or anything he just wanted to ruin his own planet like that was just his his thing his agreement so he was never much of a big threat um ambition which would have been one of the other big threats of the cosmere was shattered in the very beginning by agreement by like all the other shard holders like this is this is too much. We can't let ambition exist. So they were okay with with him being killed. By the way, as far as we know, these guys were friends at some point when they friends. went to go kill Adonalsium. Friends ah, might be a so stretch. Weird. Coworkers, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyone who's ever been part of an MMO guild that completely exploded knows how that goes down. Like, you can go from being friends to hating each other's guts. It, it happens. So my, my own pet theory is that... Never experienced that. In... Th- there were a number of couples uh, among the group. Uh, Demo- the Devotion and Dominion, I think, were a couple. I think Preservation and Ruin were, were a couple. Uh, and then like Honor and Cultivation. Involved? Yeah, I think so. Maybe, unless they're were, they, they were either really close friends or they were romantically okay. involved. Is my own pet theory. I'm not saying there's anything in the text that makes it true. I think it should be. I uh, think Devotion and Dominion. Craig, Craig is a shipper. I am a shipper, yes. He ships shards. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm amending my cast list to uh, to make Preservation and Ruin uh, Azerfell <laughs> and Crowley from Good Omens, because... <laughs> Dude, that's, like, actually so perfect, though. It is, right? Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Except David Tennant's already hoid, so I don't know. Double dipping. Into- okay, you know what? I've got my cast list decided now. David Tennant is playing everyone. (laughs) 
He could do it too. Cumberbatch is playing everyone. No, I mean we could just have David Tennant and and Cumberbatch, and it would (laughs) that would cover (laughs) everything. Um. But yeah, I, I do think Devotion and Dominion were actually a couple. Like, I think there's references to that, unless I'm just misremembering. Those were oh. two of the three shards on Roshar? No. no. Devotion no. and Dominion are Cell, which is Elantris. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was Honor and Cultivation on Roshar. And who else? ODM? ODM joined them. Oh. On Roshar, it was originally just Honor and Cultivation until ODM showed up. And then Honor did the whole Oath Pack thing to sort of keep them there. And that is the extent of what you know. Anyway, we're not talking about Rochar. We're talking about... You're right. Skadrian. I don't know how to poach an egg. So how about those southern Skadrians and airships? Oh, yeah, those guys. So, yeah, they they adapted to the heat because they didn't have ash mounts to block out the too close sun. And then the world became regular temperature, which made them cold. Uh, also, the Lord Ruler, when he fiddled with everything after slightly breaking everything, um, explicitly did not fiddle with the Southern Scadrian. Yeah, he was kept he them just like, screw those guys? Normal. Well, so no, he specifically kept them normal as a control group. So he fiddled and made Ska and Nobles, and he changed their body chemistry to be able to handle all the ash and everything else. And he decided he set aside a group of humans as a control group, those are the Southern Scadrian. And then Vin ran the experiment, much like a Vogon bulldozer. Well, mm-hmm, they, ad- mm-hmm. the, they adapted to the heat, which is just a thing that people can do over time. Like, they just handled it. Um, and then, of course, once uh, Sezed fixed everything, suddenly it was very cold. So the and Lord then- Ruler's plan was to wait until the Well of Ascension refilled and then fix things. Yeah. So, like, he mm-hmm. needed... He needed a control group so that he knew what to turn people back into. I think control group is really the wrong phrase. I think more template, like, Mm, sure. Previous save. (laughs) Save slot. And then Kelsier and Vin showed up and killed them. Whoops. Yeah, they don't know what he was planning to do for humanity. All part of Ruin's plan. Yeah, but the Lord Ruler's whole thing was... Individual people don't matter. He's working on the species, and he's just waiting the thousand years for the Well of Ascension to refill so he can take the power again and actually put things back to normal and fix all the stuff he broke and all the stuff that he fixed That's a good plan. after breaking things. Yeah, things were actually fairly chaotic for the Lord Ruler um, in the very beginning. Like the, the technology level before he like got the power was was sort of like late renaissance. Um, I would say maybe on par, of, let's say 100 to 200 years before Alloy of Law type tech level. So we're talking after what we saw in the actual books. He suppressed things like gunpowder powder and everything like that just because it was easier to control. But for a while, there were a lot of nations and things up on the North Pole that he just had no control over. Like, it was just constant wars and fighting as he consolidated his power, you know, created Coloss and things like that to actually really get uh, the army, the Inquisitors, just some power so he could take over. And then, of course, by the time we had uh, Error 1, like, he had all the power in, in North Pole. And... So basically, like, he was only in the Well of Ascension for a minute, but that gave him the knowledge to use Hemalurgy. 
Right, and he had he had the full yeah. power of preservation, but he can only use it for a very short time. Right, but he retained the knowledge of chemoallergy and how yeah. to do stuff. Yeah, he also like did he a lot into of a copper mine. And he also did a lot of hemological um, experiments, the vast majority mm-hmm. of which didn't actually achieve anything; just killed That's a bunch it. of people. So, alright. Science! We know that Ruin wanted to depose Lord Ruler so that Vin would release him at the Well of Ascension. But right, it's also because... implied that Preservation had had this plan in mind the whole time. Like, that Preservation, in a roundabout way, chose Vin and made Ruin think that Ruin was choosing Vin, right? Correct. Right. So, 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 Ruin, like, okay. Lord Ruler knew what was up. Like, he knew there was something. He was very selfish, and this was sort of the plan in the beginning uh, when Rayshek actually killed uh, the, the goober that was going to be the... Elendi? Elendi, yeah, him. Um, so... No, no, no. Frodo. Craig's right. The goober. The goober. So, like, he knew preservation needed time, essentially, to, to set all the pieces up. Um, so Rayshek was someone who would take the power and keep it for himself because releasing the power is the key that unlocks uh, Ruin's prison. So Lord Roland knew what was up. As long as he was in power, he would never release what was in the well censored. He would just take the power, use it to do some power leveling on the planet or whatever. And every thousand years, like that's what he was doing. As far as Lord Ruler was concerned, he was protecting humanity from... Ruin. All right, when you're, when you're done repeating the setup for my question, I'm going to ask my question. Ask the question. Hey, I'm just I need setting to set it, it up, up for again. our listeners, but okay. So, um, Ruin chose Vin to depose Lord Ruler, but in a roundabout way, Preservation actually chose Vin and tricked Ruin into thinking that it was Ruin's plan. Yeah. So why why did Preservation not just let Lord Ruler do his thing? Like, uh, because what? Because Ruin was already acting. So I guess preservation was just kind of like had to go along and let ruin. It was a band-aid. Like what what the Lord Ruler was was just a temporary fix. He knew it wasn't permanent. Yeah, it it was not a permanent um, a permanent solution to the ruin problem. He knew that the ultimate Uh... solution was someone needed to pick up both shards at the same time. Like ruin had to be killed, and he also was dying. Um, also, yeah, that's another key point, which I think Mike mentioned. The power level difference was be- preservation put more of himself in people. So Ruin was actually more powerful than preservation. Right, like, Ruin was more powerful, but pieces. he was imprisoned. Yeah, what I think happened is I don't think preservation was involved in the whole um, Lord Ruler ascending. What happened was that Ruin was the one putting out those um, rumors and prophecies and things that said that, you know, the great hero would come and take the power and was supposed to release it. Like Ruin was the one spreading all that propaganda. And so then you have Alindy thinking, oh, yes, I am the great hero and I am selfless and a good man and I am going to take the power and then release it for the good of the world. But you had um Rayshek's uncle the terrace guy who remembered things even without his copper mind who knew that that was not the correct interpretation of whatever the prophecy had been and so it was that guy and Rayshek together who 
conspired to stop Elindy from getting the power. Then, and this is my opinion, what happened is Rayshek became the Lord Ruler. He had the power of preservation and he went into ultra preservation mode, you know, stopping people from advancing and trying to keep things the same. Uh, so that was that was the power of preservation acting on him. A little bit of preservation's intent does go along with the power. Oh, um, to be clear, after, so like what the Lord Ruler was going to do was fix all the stuff he broke, uh, but he wasn't going to stop being like a horrible dictator. Who oh, yeah. Of course, because he knew what was best. Yeah. Lord well, Ruler it, knew what's best. And the like, reason, he was pretty what, good at being a dictator, actually. Well, what, the reason that everything broke was, again, because of Ruin's influence. Like, part of the problem was that the mists were coming and were blocking out the sun and people were going to starve to death or whatever. And that's why, you know, the hero was supposed to save them with the power. And so that's when Rayshik moved the planet around so that the sun could burn the mists off. But he did it wrong and then it was too hot and he had to do the ash mounts. And then yeah. so, like, but the mist stopped being... Well, the mists were preservation, and they were just snapping people. Like, that was true back then. It's just that I don't think you could snap people before then. The beads and, and the preservation's power didn't really... I mean, okay, so that that's something that's actually oh, yeah. mentioned. Do you the, have to have a bead and a snap? Right, so Allomancy existed before uh, Lord Roller. Like, Alendi was a bronze misting. It's just that it was very, very weak. And so, rare. Weak and rare. very weak, the very weak, very rare. So the mist snapping people were probably much more destructive to try to get them to actually access their power at the time. And it just seems like this is like an end of the world catastrophe. I think that was intentional by preservation to get, you know, the action to happen. Like someone needed to take up the power at the well. It couldn't just sit there. So th there was a lot of things that were happening. And Ruin was like, OK. This is our agreement, time to ruin the world. So it's like, there, there were a lot of pieces and everything happening at once. And this was the solution, that preservation. Like, long term, he looked ahead and be like, here we go. This this is the move. Checkmate in 236 moves. Let's yeah, go. but we also know that preservation is not omniscient. He's not, but... He's he, very, he has very good foresight, but he's not omniscient. Uh, I I've, I think I've since amended my original thought way back when we talked about this. My interpretation was preservation had the best future site. I have since amended that. Um, it's better than ruin. I think ruin still probably has the worst worse future site of the shards, just because he's concerned about like short term ruining of things. Mm -hmm. Preservation just sort of by default looks a bit more ahead to be able to preserve something in its natural state. I think the best person that can look ahead is probably cultivation because she's all about how do you cultivate something as a seed into whatever it is that will grow into. So my current thought is that cultivation has the best future site of the shards. I uh, would say ambition probably had the best. But it wasn't of the, enough. Of the now living shards. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know. Uh, all right, what else we got? Or should we call it for... Um, any more questions for Dave? Nope. I don't have any questions for Dave. <laughs> all right, Dave. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah, there's <laughs> not really... Internet. There's not really spoilers to go into, so... Yep. Dave, you get to... When you re-listen to this one, you get to hear the end. Bye, everybody. Hey, I get to hear the traveling Willacuddy. Bye. Bye, everyone. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook.
Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thank you.